And open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we're in a series on timeless questions from the Psalms. And looking at this question here. Uh, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes like a bridegroom living his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have the ancient words. We have the wonderful words of life. We have the unchanging word of God before us. And so we're asking for your Spirit's help to take that word. And Father, to take with it the sacrament. Father, to, to grow us an understanding of, of who you are of how we're to live in your world, Father, of our own sin. And Father, our consecration to you. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Astronomers announced Tuesday that they have discovered unusual signals coming from the very center of our Milky Way galaxy. There are radio waves that do not fit uh, currently understood patterns of variable radio sources. And they are tantalizing to the scientists. Now, that's their word. Uh, and could suggest they say a whole new class of, of stellar objects. In other words, scientists are confirming what the Bible says. We do not live in a silent universe. The stars and other objects in the heavens give off light, heat, uh, energy, radio waves. Though we as human beings never audibly hear anything, uh, yet in all their shining brilliance, they declare the glory of God. So that's David's starting point this morning uh, in this masterful psalm. C.S. Lewis uh, said about this, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's high praise indeed. So how does David 
move from the stars to our timeless question. Who can discern his errors? And what is the answer? Well, let's go to the text and see. You know, as we listen to the stars, we hear the voice of natural revelation. That is revelation from nature itself. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. The stars in all of their splendor and all of their pageantry display the power of God in creation. The pattern of of night and day reflect God's glory in his faithfulness to us. The sun, as it breaks through the sunrise, that tent that's erected like a bridegroom excited to come out to get married, then like an Olympic athlete runs across the entire length of the sky. It gives us perspective that God is involved in our world every day. In the expansive universe, there's a a spectacular glory on display that's really beyond the dimensions of the human mind. Now remember, the creation is not God, but it points to God. Everything is not God, but God is everywhere present in his universe. Remember the word binary. It's an important word in our vocabulary today. As Christians, our worldview is binary. There is God and there is creation. They are separate. There is God and there are human beings. They are separate. There are males and there are females. They are separate. God created the universe with his word. Jesus spoke it into existence. And in turn, the created universe speaks of the glory of God. The revelation is made known. It's available to the whole world. That's why sometimes you'll hear us use the term for natural revelation. We'll call it general revelation because it's for everybody, everywhere, all the time, every day. Now, sadly, many look at the same general revelation that we do uh, and do not see the glory of God. They see the stars that twinkle at night. They feel the warmth of the sun. They witness the continuous cycle of day and night. Yet they do not see God's hand. There's an old question. If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a noise? And really, it's a stupid question. Of course it does. Sound is not dependent upon the hearer. And so still the heavens are speaking. They're declaring the glory of God. Even even if sin makes people deaf to God's cosmic voice. And then we have here at the end of verse 6, what we might call the hinge. This is the line that really pulls the whole psalm together. All right. Uh, In talking about the sun, David concludes by saying, there is nothing 
hidden from its heat. The blazing sun warms everything. It keeps planet Earth at a perfect temperature so that human beings can survive. It's not too hot like it is on Mercury. It's not too cold like it is on Mars. And, and keep in mind now, Dave is about to turn from natural revelation uh, found in creation to special revelation found in God's Word. So this is the transition for us here. As the sun dominates the sky, the Word of God dominates human life. As the sun is welcomed with its heat, though sometimes it's terrifying when it gets too hot, so too the Word of God. The Word of God is life imparting, but it's also sometimes terrifying in its purifying work on us. And even as there would be no life on planet Earth without the sun, there would be no human life as we know it on Earth without the revealed Word of God. And I might add, without the revealed Word of God, no human being could discern his or her errors, that is, our sin. So that's how David brings us together. Now, why do we say all that? Well, let's look at the voice of the Word of God. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Special revelation is what God gives special to his people. We learn in the scriptures what the skies cannot tell us. Uh, David uses six synonyms here for God's word, along with six adjectives, and then six impacts, if you will. Uh, And I put the chart there for you in your notes. These synonyms give us different shades of meaning. If the word of God were a diamond, the synonyms would be like different facets of that diamond. Uh, Help us understand it by describing it as law or Torah, uh, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, rules. And the adjectives describe then God's word to tell us that it's perfect, that it's sure, that it's right, that it's pure, that it's clean, that it's true. Then we have the six impacts or the six benefits. Now, quite frankly, we could spend all day just meditating on these statements about God's word that sound a lot like Psalm 119. But let's just glance at the benefits, the impact. The word of God is reviving brings life. That's the source of life, spiritually. The Word of God makes us wise. It shows us how to live in God's world. It shows us the moral boundaries that live within. God's Word causes us to rejoice. God's Word enlightens us. It's the lamp to our feet, the light to a path. It shows us how to go, how to live. It's enduring because the Word of God is rooted in the character of God, 
And the character of God never changes. So God's word never changes. God's truth never changes. The culture around us may think that truth changes, but it does not. God's word never changes. God's word will never pass away. That's why Jeremiah said uh, to stand at the crossroads, look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. What a promise. Now, you notice on the little chart there that the last impact is warns or rewards. But when we read the verses, that final parallelism is not quite so clear. It's, it's delayed a bit because David first says it's, it's righteous altogether, uh, which doesn't exactly fit in with the flow of the chart. Now, it is righteous altogether, but that's a description of the Word of God. It's not the impact. Really, what David's doing is, is sort of pausing for if you will, to to make an emphasis, evaluate the sword of God, what his view is here. Not only is it altogether righteous, but it's worth more than gold. Uh, And and not only is it practical day by day, but it's it's sweeter even than honey. And it's only after he tells us uh, those things that he completes the parallelism with sort of a double impact a double benefit that serves as a climax. Moreover, that by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. Now what are we warned against? Well, we're warned against sin and temptation. We're warned about the harmful effect sin has in our lives. Given God's truth, we're warned about the, the, the lies the world proclaims. We're warned about false teaching, about false gods. We're warned how to discern the true from the false. We're also told here about a great reward when we keep God's word. Now, the idea doesn't seem to be that we'll get a ribbon or a medal or a gift card if we keep God's reward or a trophy uh, for doing certain things. Rather, James Boyce says, the great reward is not necessarily something we get for a prize, uh, but rather goodness is itself joyous. To be holy is to be content. In his view, the, this great reward, it's more in, in, internal. Uh, and we might add to that ex, uh, eternal. Friends, we are rewarded whenever we read the Word of God. This dynamic word changes us every time we read it, whether we realize it or not. So don't be fooled into thinking that reading the word of the God doesn't matter. Don't be fooled into thinking we're not getting anything out of it. Don't be fooled into thinking there's some better way to spend our time, because there's not. Then finally, David moves from the voice of natural revelation and the voice of special revelation to the voice of God's people. And he calls this a self-examination. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression.'" 
So there's the timeless question. Who can discern his errors? And the answer comes first with confession. Through natural and special revelation, we become aware of our own insignificance in comparison to God, which is very humbling for us. And also, we're humbled as God's word enables us to see our sin. God's word is wonderful to expose our hidden faults. Now, what are those? There are things in us that, well, we just don't see. We tend to overlook. Now, I might be pretty good at seeing those hidden faults in you. can help you with those. I just somehow miss them when I look at myself. Uh, and so we're humbled as God's word enables us to, to see that. It's like an x-ray machine, like a CAT scan, like an MRI that examines our souls. Now, what are these presumptuous sins? Presumptuous means willful. These are deliberate sins. These are sins that we choose to do thinking that this sin will make us happy. All right? And we usually, with this, deceive ourselves into thinking, well, you know, it's not a big deal with God. He doesn't really care about this that I do. Or perhaps we also think, you know, we can stop this just whenever we want. And so we do them because, well, we want to do them. Uh, Not necessarily because we are intentionally trying to rebel against God, at least in our minds. And we do these sins and we confess them. And while we may not want to do them again, we often become repeat offenders. And what we're doing is suddenly trusting in the grace of God to... Uh, to, uh, to step in, be extended to us yet once more because, well, that's what God does. And what David ex- concludes here is saying is this. The more we indulge a particular sin, whatever that sin is, the more likely it is that that sin will gain dominion over us, control over us, and we will battle it hard. Such sins will rule over us As one writer puts it, until we cry for mercy. Uh, So what David cautions us here is that the more we indulge a particular sin, then the greater the struggle will be. Now, what are the great transgressions referred to here? The word comes to us, also used back in Exodus 32, three times, where we're told of the great sin of the people of Israel, which was to build the golden calf, to make the golden calf. Uh, And the idea there in that sin, they call it great sin, great transgression, is it's it's deliberate and premeditated rebellion against God. Uh, It's done to show rebellion against God. The motivation is to show we don't have to turn to God. We create our own path. It's, It's Psalm 2 lived out is what we have here with that. So God's revelation... Shows me what I'm really like. Shows me my errors. It exposes my hidden faults, my deliberate sins, and my great rebellion. As the Spirit works through His Word, He then leads us to confession of our sins. 
to repentance, to a desire for a changed life. And then particularly today we have the Lord's Supper that comes alongside uh, and makes the realization of our sin all the more sure, as well as reminding us all the more of God's forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ when it comes to our sin. The Lord's Supper will assure us that all of our sins are paid for. And that should make us hate our rebellion, hate our willfulness, hate our hidden faults all the more. But then there's a second part here. Hopefully as we turn from our sins in repentance, all our sins, whether again they're, they're deep down hidden faults, things we just want to do, or determined rebellion against God, we now have the ambition to live in such ways to please God. And here's the word we need to contemplate. We don't hear it much anymore. And the word is consecration. It's setting oneself apart for God, even as he has set himself apart for himself. Set us apart for himself. It's a proactive step we want to take. What we're going to have here is a proactive prayer. Now, it's interesting. David does not pray, God, in view of everything you've done for me, help me to live a holy life. Give me the rules you want me to follow. Psalm 15, we might have expected that. Rather, Paul's comment in Romans 12 that we referred to a few weeks ago applies here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. And what David uses here is the language of sacrifice. David prays, let my life be an offering. Let my life be a gift to God. Notice, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, that is, be an acceptable offering, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May my words... The things I say in private, the things I say in public, what I say in worship. May they be an acceptable sacrifice, an acceptable offering to God. Now, there's no sense of, of burdensome legalism here. No, you know, I've got to do this and this and this. And I cannot do that or that or that. Rather, what he says is, what I, what I say... What I do, let it be an offering that I give to God. See, the response that we should have to God's grace is to view how we live as a, as a gift to God. See, God doesn't give us his word to be like a maze that we have to find our way through to determine what he wants us to do. No, as we saw before, God's word's a highway. It sets us free to run with abandon in the path of God's word. Holiness will never come about if we say, this is what I have to do. Holiness will only come about when we say, this is what I want to do. Uh, the result of such living, he says, is that we'll be, we'll be blameless because of Christ. And the key is our thinking. I mean, David points to my meditation. The key to what I say and what I do is, is it comes from what I think. 
Friends, that's why we want to saturate our minds with the Word of God. And David calls God his, his Lord, his rock, his Redeemer. He's the rock of ages. That makes him the refuge that he can flee to. He's our Redeemer. He's our champion. Not first and foremost our judge. He is our judge, but, but, but that comes later. So let's tie the psalm together more tightly. It's through the Word of God, brought to life in us by the Spirit of God, that we become God's children. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Whereas 1 Peter 1 tells us, You have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. Now, we are to proclaim God's life-giving Word. Just as natural revelation does, just as special revelation does, we become a source for people to hear the Word of God. The greatest testament of the power of God is a transformed life that proclaims the gospel verbally. That's what people see. And of course, that's what they have to hear. As the words, the voice of the heavens, and the voice, the word of God, proclaim God's glory, our voices and words do the same. How about that? We get to join with the stars of the universe, with the sun, S-U-N, and with the words of the prophets and apostles and the sun, S-O-N, in proclaiming the glory of God. The cosmic glory that begins the psalm becomes the glory of an intimate relationship that we share with God. So the psalmist here has moved from the macrocosm to the microcosm. From the universe and all of its glory to the individual in humility before God. And so we should consider and wonder and praise that the climax of this is the little. It's the microcosm. So what about us? Who can discern his errors? Only the person who's been listening to God through natural revelation and special revelation and is enabled by the Spirit of God to hear God. We come today before the God who who has made himself known to us through the skies and through the scriptures. Through his word and through his spirit, we're brought to life. We become believers in Jesus Christ and we receive his gift of eternal life. Today we have an additional means of special revelation to the people of God, and that's the Lord's Supper. Because this supper points to Jesus as our Redeemer. We have pictured here for us His death on the cross, His shed blood for us, that He died in our place as our substitute for our sins. That should lead us to confess our sin, all of our sin. The hidden faults maybe nobody else sees. The willful sins we choose to commit. And the great transgression where we're simply rebelling against God. And then we consecrate ourselves to live lives that are an offering to God. Not a required checklist of desired behaviors. But a desire to serve Him by living a life of love. A life that loves God and loves other people. So with both confession and consecration in mind, the Lord Jesus invites today all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ members of the of an evangelical church, to come to this table. Let me say, if you're not yet a believer, we're delighted you're here to, to hear about God's glory. 
but the Bible itself urges you not to partake. So we'd urge you to spend time asking God to show you his son, Jesus Christ, what it means to have faith in him. Likewise, children not yet been examined by the session should not partake until they're examined. And if you're desiring to partake, please see me. As believers, we're called, do we recognize the body of Christ? And we take it two ways. First, this is the body of Christ portrayed for us. Jesus really did die for our sins. Our errors, our hidden faults, our deliberate sins, our out-and-out rebellion. He suffered and died. That should mean that we hate our sin that put him on the cross. We should seek to turn from it. And if my attitude is that hidden sins are no big deal, oh, it's okay to willfully sin every now and then, it's not a big deal, then I'm not recognizing that Christ died for my sin and I should not partake. But if I genuinely want to turn from sin, I want to to root out those hidden sins, I want to stop being rebellious, and I need help, then this is the place. This is the strength for the battle. It's a place to be reminded that His grace, His mercy, His love, they're for us, and that all our sins are paid for at the cross. Likewise, we're the body of Christ. What's my attitude to my brothers and sisters? Is there somebody I need to reconcile with? Then we should come to this table. Let me say, if you're watching online, we're glad you could join us that way today. We're sorry you cannot participate in this part of the service. Uh, we, we miss you and long for the day when we're back together. Uh, but though you don't have the elements, we would urge you to spend time in confession of sin, uh, receiving forgiveness and consecrating yourself to the Lord. So let's all now take a moment as we go to the Lord individually and confess our sins before holy God. Gracious God, we are asking you today to shine your light on our hidden faults. Expose them, we pray. Expose our willful sins. Expose our rebellion. We might confess our sin before you. Father, we're grateful we have the assurance that when we do acknowledge all these sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, we thank you that today, while we're reminded we're great sinners, Father, your mercy is more. Your forgiveness is for us because of the cross. So remind us of that now as we come to this table, we pray in Jesus' name. 